Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every week as he talks with the greats of the game. You are the smartest guy I've spoken to on radio or television in my career. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. By having any research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research man. You're the best. You're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golf community. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job and your listeners are super lucky to have you and it's always my pleasure. Chris Carroll is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Hey, good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me this week on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and this week's lineup is going to be a really fun one. I am blessed to be joined this week by Mike McGee, Jeff Smith, and Evan Schiller. If you're not familiar with Mike McGee, he's represented several PGA Tour pros, had a fantastic college baseball career over at Mount Union. His father is Jerry McGee, who won four times between the PGA and Champions Tours. Mike recently got to induct his father into the Western Pennsylvania PGA Section Hall of Fame. He is married to Annika Sorenstam, who I hear is pretty good at golf. So a lot to get into tonight with Mike. Very excited to have him as part of the show. He'll join me here in just a few minutes. Following him will be Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor Jeff Smith. Not only is he a Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor, but Golf Digest has named him the top instructor in the state of Indiana. He also does some seasonal work down in Bonita Springs, Florida, and out in Colorado. We'll hear about his golf journey, plus get some playing lessons on how to prepare for playing different grasses if you happen to be heading down to Florida this winter, and why we should consider ditching our three-wood in favor of a five-wood. Also excited to have Jeff as part of the show. He's a really great guy. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. And then we're going to round things out this week with a return visit from the best golf course photographer ever, in my opinion, and that is Evan Schiller. And that's not hyperbole or exaggeration when I say he's the best of all time. Please go out online to his website, evanschillerphotography.com, and his last name is spelled S-C-H-I-L-L-E-R, so evanschillerphotography.com, and take a look at his photographs. Unbelievable, in my opinion. We'll talk about This year's new calendar and the courses that made the cut this year. We'll also hear about some of the courses that he's photographed around the world and the ones that he has still got on his bucket list. He'll join me in the second hour of the show. So a lot of great stuff in store for you this week here on Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me this week. Before we get started. Our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, and I have been working with a company called Kickpoint, and they have done some magical things with our logos and created some polo shirts with some wonderful designs where they take our logos and turn them into designs on a polo shirt. They're absolutely outstanding. Kickpoint Golf is a private label custom golf apparel company making bespoke polo shirts, quarter zips, and hoodies for those selected clubs looking to take their branded game to a whole new level. If you want to check out their apparel, and again, it's going to knock your socks off, send an email to info at kickpointgolf.com. They'll get right back to you. There's no middleman. They're going to go right to the guys that do this work. You're going to check it out, and you are really going to love what they do. I'm going to start showing the uh, polo shirts 
that they designed for me on my Instagram, at CT Mascaro. Check them out there so you can get a sample of what they look like. These guys know where it's at. Now let's talk about golf getaways and buddies trip locations. When you're thinking about that, think about our friends over at the McLemore, which is a wonderful resort located just south of Chattanooga, Tennessee, high atop Lookout Mountain. It is a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the U.S. by Golf Digest. The 18th hole is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Keep, is under construction and will open summer of 2024. The Keep is a Bill Bergen Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled up with a golf hole. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton will open spring of 2024. Both have incredible views into historic McLemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You got to see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at McLemore. Go online to McLemore.com to book your stay and play package. Now let's talk about the new P790 irons from TaylorMade. From the very beginning. P790 irons have been rooted in clean aesthetics and thoughtful design. However, their true beauty is found beneath the surface. With AI-optimized weighting and speed foam air on the inside, every iron is uniquely designed to perform exactly how you need it to. As striking as they are on the outside, their true beauty lies within. Learn more about the new P790 irons from TaylorMade by checking out their website at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now making his next on the tee debut with me is Mike McGee. Let me give you some background on Mike. He grew up in East Palestine, Ohio, the son of PGA Tour Pro, a four-time winner on the PGA Tour between the PGA and the Senior Tour, and a Western Pennsylvania Golf Association Hall of Famer, and that's Jerry McGee, plus his mom, of course, Jill. Mike was a four-year letterman in baseball and an all-Ohio athletic conference player at the University of Mount Union. He is still their all-time leader in saves with 18 and saves in a season with seven. He helped them two appearances in the OAC tournament in three of his four seasons there. He graduated with his degree in sports management with an emphasis in marketing and a minor in psychology. I hear his wife's pretty good at the game of golf. Her name is Annika Sornstam. Mike has managed 20-plus players between the PGA and Corn Ferry Tours. He is also managing the Annika brand and the Annika Foundation. And I am very honored that I get to have him with me this week here on Next on the T. Hey, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, a pleasure. And I didn't know anybody knew about my Mount Union days. So thank you. (laughs) You bet. Mike, I want to start by going all the way back to the early days. I read when you were growing up in East Palestine, it was a community where everybody knew each other. You had backyard games going on every day. Talk about what it was like for you growing up there in the 80s and the early 90s. Absolutely. East Palestine was um, then known as a little city with a big heart. That was the sign when you entered entered the town. Um, it was great, just like any small town. You know, we had a lot of friends and we all lived within a few blocks and played football, basketball and baseball, backyard pickup games, literally year round. And um, I'm still dear friends with some of those guys I played with back then. And, and um, it was just great. My mom started teaching school when I was probably in middle school, maybe, maybe early high school. And uh, she taught for 25 years there. We lived right behind the, uh, the high school 
So it was a big practice field there. And, and I used to go kick field goals um, in the, in the practice area there and, and practice that and, and just, just loved it. Everybody knew each other. Everybody looked out for one another. And it was a lot of fun. You know, you didn't lock your door and um, it, the world was, was right. And so um, I wish we had a little more of that nowadays, but it was great and I enjoyed it and ended up playing um, football, basketball and baseball in high school. And I was um, set to go to uh, Marietta, which is ironically a, a great Division three baseball program. I was set to go there and be quarterback. And I ended up going to Mount Union, which is an amazing football program to play baseball. So that tells you I wasn't that great at either one of them. <laughs> I want to get to the Mount Union stuff in a moment, but I just I want to finish up with the East Palestine stuff because there was a tragic train accident there where toxic chemicals spilled out and contaminated the soil and the water treatment. Talk about the efforts that you and Annika took to help the people there and the Annika for East Palestine campaign. Yeah, thanks for asking about that, Chris. We had a uh, a wonderful event called Annika for East Palestine, F-O-R-E, um, at our dear friend Ed Moransky's club, the Lake Club, um, in Poland, Ohio. And we had some celebrities there and, and basically a big pro-am type event where we were able to raise $400,000, <clears> excuse me, for East Palestine. And we wanted the money to go to more building the morale back of the town. You know, youth sports were getting canceled. Nobody wanted to come to East Palestine for track meets or, you know, basketball tournaments or whatever it may be. And so we earmarked um, the 400000 to go towards you know, youth sports, starting a youth golf program, which is uh, hopefully going to be in my dad's name. Um, not quite a first tee program, but something like that. Then um, to the high school uh, sports teams, they got some nice new uniforms. We wanted to help uh, the cheerleading program and little bulldogs, they're called. And then um, the the arts, my mom loved the the arts and she started the middle school drama club and uh, built the sets for a lot of the high school plays and kind of lived is literally 300 yards from our house she kind of lived in the storage area behind the stage building props and stuff and and um so we gave money to that that program as well and just really um try to do as much as we we could and it's a resilient town. It's it's doing well. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's there's those that that are sitting back waiting for a big check with their hand out that don't want to move forward. And as you would imagine, those are the people that that don't own homes and aren't working hard and don't have businesses. So it's a little bit of a divide. But other than that, um, the people that that have been there and care about the community and work hard and have forever in the community. They're pushing forward and doing very well. Well, Mike, let's go back to your college days at Mount Union, located just over the border of Pennsylvania into Ohio, about an hour and a half from Pittsburgh. Talk about, you, you mentioned a moment ago, going there to play football. 
Where did it get onto your map? How did it get onto your your radar that that's a place that you wanted to go play your college sports? You know, I, I knew about Mount Union because um, some of the, the people that I knew in our town had gone there. And it was a small school. I knew they had a good football team, um, but didn't really know much about it at all, to be honest. And then I had a good, we didn't have baseball at East Palestine, unfortunately, due to budget cuts for a long time. My junior year, baseball came back. And I remember my senior year, I had a good year. I had to go, I remember telling my buddy, 12 for my last 12 to bat 500 on the season. And I played shortstop, pitched a little bit, and um, only had a fastball. And so they, if they could time it, you know, eventually they were hitting me, but it had a little movement on it. Um, but I went 11 for 11, and then they intentionally walked me my last at bat. Oh, and the, it was hilarious. The buddy I told that he was on second base at the time and he was absolutely dying, laughing, pointing at me and everything. And, and nobody knew what that was about. But um, so he was actually going to Mount Union. Mike Strohecker is his name. And he said uh, he called me Willie for Willie McGee. He said, Willie, why don't you come check it out? And um, and maybe we go there together. And so I went with him and I just I love the, the field. I love the coach. Um, I love the setting. It's just such a small, quaint, beautiful place and um, ended up being some of the best four years of my life and, and absolutely loved it. Mike, I grew up a huge Pirates fan in the 1970s, spent a lot of my summers at Three River Stadium watching the Pirates, that 79 We Are Family team as a special place in my heart. And I saw that Mountain Union's Pitcher of the Year Award is named in honor of Pirates great Kent DeCovey. Did you ever get an opportunity to meet or speak to Kent? No, I did not. Um, I believe he went to Marietta, um, but he was a, a a star in our um, in our Ohio Athletic Conference for sure. Um, and I loved watching him too. I was a a big Pirates fan. Unfortunately, I haven't paid as close attention um, the last few years when they've struggled. But you know, the outfield of dreams with Bonds, Bonds Benia, and Van Slyke. Um, I went to tons of games, um, including the some of the heartbreakers against the Reds in the, the championship series and, and, you know, the Sid Bream years when he beat the Pirates uh, with the Braves. So I, I always love that as well. And I will, will say PNC Park, um, I look forward to taking the family there this summer, hopefully, if, it, if the timing works out with the U.S. Senior Women's Open, which will be not too far from there. If Annika's schedule works and she's able to play, I'd love to take him there. And hopefully um, – We've known some some PNC executives through the the tournament here, and hopefully get the kids down on the field. I think that's probably the prettiest park in the country. The outfield looks like a mural, as you know, with the bridges and and the city backdrop. Now let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about your father? He started out playing baseball and football like you did. Turned his attention to golf later on when your grandmother married a club pro. So he must have gotten started in the game a little bit later. Had to come naturally to him because he got really good really fast. Did you ever talk to him about that? Oh, yes. I talked to him a lot about all that. Um, unfortunately, or, you know, fortunately, the way things turned out, he had a horrible childhood. His uh, real father was a, a raging alcoholic, beat the heck out of his mom, um, left the family when he was 12, and his step his mom married a guy named Carl Holden um who was the pro at Perry County Country Club in um southern Ohio New Lexington 
And um, so he learned the game there. They lived in a trailer across the street from the course with his, uh, you know, eventually his step uh, brother and sister. And Carl was a gruff man as well. You know, he he was my dad was very gifted um, with natural talent, unbelievable hands and short game. And he learned the game, like you said, quickly. Carl taught him the, the fundamentals and then he worked his tail off. But as he progressed, you know, Carl got jealous. And my dad, I remember him telling the story. I came up, went out after school, grabbed like four clubs and shot 29 on the front. And I couldn't wait to get in and tell Carl and grab the rest of my clubs and my golf shoes and, and play the, there was just nine holes. So play it again for an 18 hole score. And Carl yelled at him, you got to finish your chores, you know, stuff like that. And if he said, I'm struggling with something, he'd throw a bag of balls at his chest and say, figure it out yourself, hot shot. So I, I, I think that molded him though. He was very determined and he had a, you know, sort of a, a bad temper on the golf course and, and not the best attitude, you know, it was more of a, woe is me and only I could get, get that kind of bad bounce and Stockton's ball would hit the tree and gone on the fairway, that kind of um, attitude out there. But he also had the fight and Hale Irwin and, and Gary Player have both told me, you know, they've never seen somebody get as mad as him and play as well as him as part of it. And, and Gary has taken it as far as to say, your dad could have been world-class, you know, had it not been for his temper. And I, I explained what I just said. I said, Gary, I'm not sure he would have been out there if he didn't have that and he didn't have that fight. So sort of a double-edged sword. Mike, your father played out on tour until the early 80s, played some time on what was then the senior tour. But talk about what was life like for him and for you after his time playing out on the PGA Tour. My dad was off the tour uh, by the time I was seven, I think, um, like 82 maybe. And he worked at Oak Tree Country Club, which was about an hour away. And so back to the backyard games, you know, all summer we'd play baseball in the yard and, and I'd hang with my friends and and maybe play golf with them. But I didn't want to go an hour away to where he was with, with no friends and and learn the game properly. And now, of course, looking back, I wish I'd have done that. I'm an 11 index. You know, I have natural athletic ability, but I, I certainly not honed in on golf and I don't practice much. And, you know, I can make several birdies in a round, but I can make a couple tens too. Um, so no, that's not true. When he was, um, 50, I was graduating high school and about to be a freshman in college when he turned 50 and he was, uh, exempt from the all time money list to go out on the senior tour, then, then called senior PGA tour and play. And that was, uh, life changing for all of us, you know, with him being a, a club pro and my mom being a teacher, um, we had a very, you know, normal middle-class upbringing and everything. And then he went out there and played for 13, 14 years and, and had some success, never won, but, but always maintained his status and, um, and made, you know, good enough money to, to put some away and, and for my mom to be living comfortably now. And, um, and he took great care of us, paid for our college, my sister, Michelle and, and mine, and which is awesome. And, and just, we had a great life. And, but when he, when we started going to these tournaments, I loved the whole 
life, you know, around it and the business of it. And so I immediately changed my major to sports management and with a marketing emphasis and wanted to get in the tournament operations business. And I was lucky to do that. Literally graduated college. We, we finished our, our tournament at Marietta, my senior year of baseball tournament after school had been done, went back, graduated. And the next day, my grandpa took me down to the Scarlet course at Columbus uh, to work for executive sports. My first tournament with them and tournament operations was the women's NCAA championship, which you can imagine was a lot of fun for someone just out of college. <laughs> <laughs> and ironically, that's where Annika won her NCAA championship. When I look back at your father's playing career, he got a good omen right before he got his first win at the Pensacola Open in 1975. I read that your your parents went out to dinner. He ordered oysters, opened one up, found a pearl inside it. And from there, he goes on to win the golf tournament. That's a pretty good omen to get prior to your first win. That is that. That's true. I told that story. We had oysters the other night um, during New Year's, and as I was trying to shuck them, I told that story. So, 1975. A couple of years later, he gets to play in a victorious U.S. Ryder Cup team. 1977, they played it at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's. Dow Finsterwald was the U.S. captain that year. They would go on to win twelve and a half to seven and a half. Your father was one and one that week. Where did that event rank for him amongst the things he got to do while he played out on tour? Easily number one. Easily number one. He is um, so proud of of representing the United States in the Ryder Cup. You know, of course, now it's grown into such a a massive event and and business and everything. It wasn't obviously like that back then, but um, as it grew, his pride grew with it, and every single time. We went to so many sporting events together when I was little. He took me to football, basketball, baseball games, Cavs, uh, YSU. We rarely missed a Steeler home game. Um, and it was just so much fun and high school sports, everything. And every time the national anthem was played, he's <laughs> sorry, it makes me choke up. He stood there, um, with his hand on his heart and tears in his eyes. And he said it always reminded him of, of them raising the flag and singing after they won the Ryder Cup. And and I've always loved that and appreciated that. And obviously the people that fight for our country and it drives me absolutely bonkers when I see these idiots kneeling and not respecting the flag for our national anthem. Your father also had the opportunity to play in the Masters seven times. Best finish was a tie for fifth in 72. Finished four strokes back at Jack Nicklaus. Where did the Masters rank for him? And if you got to go, rank for you amongst the things that uh, you both got to be a part of. That was um, number one in terms of, of, you know, playing annually. That was his favorite event. Um, he loved the, the pageantry around it. He loved, you know, driving down Magnolia Lane. I remember him saying he had to turn the windshield wipers on, driving down Magnolia Lane every time because he was tearing up so badly. Um, he played, you know, well there the first year, I think that was the first year he played, he finished fifth and, and didn't, um, play as well after that. But I remember going there as a kid and, um, you know, I had bad allergies and I remember my allergies acting up. I remember staying at a, at a home that had a pool and aquarium. I don't know why I remember that stuff, but, um, not so much walking around the course back then, but as I, um, grew up 
with him though and, and when he watched it in the 80s it was always a big deal for me to watch it with him and and he would still choke up to the song that that was played it, unfortunately they don't play it as much anymore i miss that they used to always play that same tune every time but now they have a little different music coming in and out of breaks and stuff but um they used to it used to be a song too and i knew the words to the song growing up um rather than just the music and it just meant a lot when jack won in 86 i remember my dad almost sobbing and being there and watching it with him um and then being able to go there later in my life when i was an agent um meant a lot to me and still does and you know, I've been blessed to play there a couple of times with Annika and then with her being um, a member now, it's just, it's like a dream. And I know he would be so proud. I know he's looking down, um, smiling and, and I think of him every time I'm there. Mike, I got to have Paul Alexander on the show a month or so ago. And Paul is a wonderful friend. He was the MC of the Western Pennsylvania PGA section hall of fame induction ceremonies a few months back when your father got inducted and you got to induct him into that hall of fame. What was that night like for you? It was great. Um, tremendous honor for him. And, and I was glad to be able to go. My mom and sister came along as well. And it was, it was kind of comical. <clears throat> Excuse me. We, um, I, I realized later on, um, Carol Simple Thompson asked me, you know, if I was going, I said, no, the dates don't work. And she said, well, give me a date that does work and, you know, we'll make it happen. And we want you to be there. And I said, okay. And I gave her this date that I knew worked for, for my mom and my sister and me. And then I realized that it was a uh, Thursday night and the Steelers were playing at home. And I was half annoyed that, that I picked that day because I wanted to watch the game. And, and I know everybody else in attendance probably wanted to watch the game, but then I thought we can turn this into a positive and go to the game after the induction, which is what we did. Um, unfortunately, the lady, I don't remember her name, but she got inducted before us. I mean, everybody spoke for like two to five minutes. Um, the, the setup about the person and then the person accepting um, or the person accepting on the, the inductee's behalf. And this lady spoke for 45 minutes. Wow. I'm talking... Every shot she hit as a as a kid, she worked with Arnold Palmer's dad as her coach. She became a, uh, a veterinarian. And I mean, she did a lot of amazing things. And she like took care of thoroughbred horses and all, all this stuff. And and I mean, on and on and on. And, and she lost half the room. Literally, people left. And I was just so antsy because I wanted to get to the game. I mean, she literally cost us over a quarter of watching the game. Um, but so I got up and immediately said um, that we had a bunny at home. <laughs> uh, didn't have any horses, but we had a bunny. But it was a great night. We made it to the game um, by halftime. Saw the second half. PNC was kind of to put us up in their suite. And um, it was one of those indoor, outdoors. So we were inside and warm, but had the, the, the glass open. And we were sitting in the front row. So you could feel the, the chill in the air. and. Um, and it was just amazing. And they came back and won and we, we shed some tears as a family because that was, uh, that's what my dad would have wanted and where he would have been that night. Speaking of recent events with your family members, 
Annika and your son Will played in the PNC Championship. Will played exceedingly well. They finished 10th. What was it like getting to watch them play in that event? Uh, that's become our favorite event of the year. And we're, we're so thankful for PNC, including us. Um, to get to see, you know, Will inside the ropes with Annika and to get the caddy for them and, and be right there. I mean, it just means so much. And, you know, he's watched her do it the last few years. Um, and he's obviously taken up. He loves the game. He's very passionate about it. He's quit all other sports. That's all he wants to do. And he wants to play professionally one day and play in college. And, and this um, seeing him play in, you know, that kind of atmosphere with, with big crowds and TV cameras standing behind them and, and everything and not missing a beat. Um, never mentioning nerves, never mentioning, you know, it feels weird hitting a shot on 18 when everybody's sitting there looking at you and for him to play as well as he did, but to handle himself as well as he did, excuse me, the last two years. I mean, his interviews, his interaction with the fans, thanking the volunteers, um, thanking the service people. There's a 10 on 17 with where service men and women um, it's built for them right on the green. Every time he walked off, he'd wave and say, thanks for, for your support and what you do. And I mean, that kind of stuff means more to me than the golf. Mike, working with Annika now, I have to imagine everybody wants a piece of her and her time. How do you manage finding the right opportunities and making sure the people that you're dealing with have her best interests at heart over their own best interests, plus protecting time for you guys to spend as a family? That's got to be very challenging. That's a, a great she just happened to walk in and she pumped her fists in the air, like protect my time. Um, it, it is, you know, it is a challenge. You know, she has seven or eight wonderful partners still. And she, she has time. She has to give them each year and wants to give them and, and thanks for their support. Um, but she gets a lot of corporate outing opportunities. You know, some I'm seeking some um, find us. But she's uh, she's amazing at, at time management. So she can fit more into a day than than I or, or anybody I know could. Um, so that's a, a good start. She tells me at the end of every year when she she gets worn out, it's always it's the same every year. I'm not doing this much next year. Um, please, you know, don't book me for this and that. And then, um, you know, here we are in January. We already have minimum of six corporate outings already planned and we're, we're two weeks into the year. So um, it, it's nice that she's wanted and the companies um, see value in her either representing their brand or um, being there to entertain their clients or customers. Um, I will say, I know I'm biased, but she's a better person than she ever was golfer. She's so natural in those settings. She can talk you know, stocks with, with an older crowd or, or Wall Street. Um, she can talk school with, with younger kids. She can talk, you know, achieving goals and, and changing careers when you're at the top to, to try to do something else and climb another mountain, as she says. She can talk philanthropy, you know, with our foundation. It's just, she's just amazing. And, um, and she's so humble and it's, it's an honor to work. Uh, for her and with her, we we literally share an office here at Lake Nona, and and um, she always says that I I get the deals and she does them, 
but it it just it works well you know we we see the world the same way we we get along with everything we both work hard but we have fun we both put family first and any trip that we can um tie in bringing the kids we absolutely do it you know all the the, the one day outings and that that I used to go um to with her you know now I'm here I'm home with the kids and I I love that time with them as well but we uh we ham and egg it you know the best we can um rarely do we have just a fun trip you know we go to Lake Tahoe for for Christmas or or spring break and there's not many work things tied to that but most of the time when we take the kids on these beautiful trips we get to do it, it's tied to some some work she's doing and, and the kids understand that and they uh respect that and they they enjoy it they enjoy seeing her play they enjoy being a part of it um Ava's an amazing supporter she doesn't play golf as much I wish she would or her eye hand coordination's off the charts um she's gonna play softball this year for the first time but um it's it's I guess I'm rambling, but family first and and time management. She's just great at that. Mike, just a couple more before I let you go. And we've danced around the Steelers a little bit during the conversation. Huge playoff game coming up this weekend in Buffalo. What are your thoughts? Do we have a shot? You know, with TJ Watt out, I think it's going to be um, difficult. I but We always have a shot. You know, we have an amazing defense. Um, and... As much as I love seeing Josh Allen play, he's he's prone to a turnover or two. So there there's always a chance. Um, I would have rather seen us go to Kansas City and play there. I think they're uh, much more gettable, if you will, this year. Um, but I'll be watching our our junior tournament. We have our Annika Invitational, I should say, our Hilton Grand Vacations Annika Invitational presented by Rolex, um, starting this weekend. And Annika has a clinic. On Sunday, we have our Junior Am Saturday, and our winner gets to play in the, the amateur division of the LPGA tournament next week, the Tournament of Champions, which will be great. Um, but I told her from from 1 to 4.30, I'll be there, and then I'll get out to your clinic as soon as I can. I'll be watching. <laughs> Mike, before I let you go, how can our listeners stay up to date with you and Annika and all the great things you guys are doing together, whether we're following you online or it's on social media? Yes. Um, AnnikaFoundation.org has all of our uh, events. We have seven global events for junior girls. Um, I like, I really don't think many individuals are doing more for, for females and growing the game and that than Annika is. And we have a great new CEO, Rob Ono, who worked for the tour for 25 plus years and he's taken us to the next level. Really excited about what the future holds there. And then, uh, you can follow us in social media. It's Annika59 on uh, Twitter and AnnikaS59 on Instagram. She's pretty active on those. And um, I forget what I am. I, I think I'm Annika Mike McGee or something like that. But, yeah, we well, stay Mike, and we post as much as we can. Well, Mike, it's been a huge thrill getting to spend some time with you today. Happy anniversary to you and Annika. I hope you guys have a fantastic day. And I hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you again sometime. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Keep up the good work. And yeah, 15 years today. We're going to have a nice dinner tonight. So good thank for you. you guys. Take care, Mike. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. That is the wonderful Mike McGee, folks. What a tremendous guy. And he and Annika together form a fantastic team. 
out there growing our game in so many ways. And kudos to them for following that horrific train accident over in East Palestine, Ohio, going back and trying to make the lives better for those folks and getting them back on their feet. And, you know, like he talked about, helping the kids and getting the, the sports programs back up and running. Tremendous stuff. And Mike is now doing great things out there with the Annika brand and the foundation and helping grow our game in so many different ways. Obviously, Annika does such an outstanding job growing the game on both the the young people side and our junior programs all the way through. People look up to her, and, and rightly so. And because of that, our game is way better off. So kudos to Annika Sornstam for all she has done over the course of her career. Hopefully, they get to go back and be a part of the U.S. Uh, Women's Senior Open this year that's going to be held there in Pittsburgh. The Legends of the LPGA are wonderful partners of ours. I know that is a huge event for them, and kudos again to Annika for helping grow that piece because the Legends of the LPGA Tour deserve a lot more credit and a lot more eyeballs and clicks than they get, and she has been fantastic to help with that as well. But hopefully we get the privilege of catching up again with Mike very, very soon. I know he's doing more stuff this year. I'd love to hear about the great things that they are doing throughout the remainder of 2024 as we get into later on in the year, look ahead to 25 and what they'll be doing. And then Will, what a wonderful young man that boy looks like. And to be able to do the things that he did that Mike talked about, that the crowds and all of that sort of stuff, that he has already been able to adjust to that, do the interviews and not have those things become too big for him. He's got a great place in this game. So very much looking forward to watching his career grow in our game as well. But thank you so much to Mike. Look forward to catching up with him again real soon. Coming up next is one of the top 100 instructors in our game and a guy who has been named the best instructor in the state of Indiana, and that is Jeff Smith. Before I get to Jeff, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX Full Face Wedges. From Cleveland Golf. Another new product that has stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game changing three dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furick and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. Now making his next on the T debut with me is Jeff Smith. Golf Magazine has named Jeff one of their top 100 instructors in the game each of the last four years. Golf Digest has also named him the top instructor in the state of Indiana. He is also a top 100 growth of the game teaching professional. 
He was named the 2018 Indiana PGA Player Development Award winner and the 2020 Indiana PGA Teacher of the Year. Jeff earned his degree in psychology and economics at Indiana University. On top of being one of the top instructors in the state of Indiana, Jeff can be found at Bonita Bay Club doing seasonal teaching down in Bonita Springs, Florida. He also spends some time at Eagle Springs Golf Club in Walcott, Colorado. When he's not doing that, you can hear him co-hosting one of the best golf podcasts out there, Those Weekend Golf Guys, along with John Ashton. Please go check them out online at thoseweekendgolfguys.com, and you can find them on your favorite podcast app as well. And I'm honored I get to have Jeff with me this week on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for joining me. You know, it's really great to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I'm really honored that you reached out and said, hey, let's get you to talk a little bit because it's kind of fun talking golf. So here yeah, we are. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, Jeff, let's go back to the early days. I'm always interested when I have a guest on for the first time to find out when you first started playing golf and who was the person to put a golf club in your hand. <laughs> All right. So I got to give a little shout out to my wife. Here we are for our first thing. My wife was the first person to really put a golf club in my hand. Now, I, you know, in high school, I had been messing around, you know, but I was a I was an athlete in other sports and um, golf really wasn't a thing in high school for me. And um, I met my wife in college. She played on the Indiana University women's golf team. And I met her in college and uh, I went to go watch her play. And I thought, yeah, it's, you know, I didn't think two hoots about golf at that point. And then I watched her play and I thought, oh boy, she's pretty good at this. <laughs> I may want to, I may want to have to pick this sport up. Right. And that's at the time in life when all the other sports kind of go away. Basketball really doesn't much, but uh, you know, in college you got intramural football and intramural basketball and you got, you, there's no intramural baseball anymore. So that was gone. And there wasn't really any soccer anymore. So that was gone. And, you know, next thing you know, wrestling's gone too. So it's like, all right, let's, let's give this golf thing a whirl. And so, I really started to ask her questions about what to do and how to do. And honestly, my wife, Kathy, is um, she's really the reason that I'm, I'm that I turned professional and I played golf really pretty much at all. And um, yeah, I, that's you know, awesome. Her whole family is a family of real golfers. Like her father played at Purdue. Her sister played at Purdue. Her brother played at Indiana University before he transferred. She had two sisters. Uh, that played at Notre Dame. So there's five kids, and all five played Division One college golf. Man. Real golf family, right? Yeah. And so I kind of, I'm marrying into this family, and I'm like, man, I better get to work. (laughs) 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 I I better get to work, because this is, you know, I don't don't want to go to the the family gatherings and be the schlep on the tee, right? (laughs) So next thing you know, I had to work pretty hard, just like everybody else. And then, uh, and then, you know, amateur tournaments came around and then next thing you know, my wife and I, we moved to North Carolina and I decide, I think it's a good idea to go be a club professional. I think that's what I want to go do in my, my life. So I, I go and I get myself a job in North Carolina and next thing you know, it's the career has started. And the more I learned, the more I actually wanted to teach and, uh, so I got to go, I got to teach a little bit after uh, one guy did the greatest thing in the world that anybody could ever do for somebody. He told me as a golf professional, he says, you will not teach 
here on this range until you go see five great teachers and you take notes and you ask questions and you see them all for a day and you come back after every day and you write a report and you give it to me. So I wrote a report on five great teachers that I went to go see to learn what they did and how they did it. And you know darn well, every one of them was different. Every one of them did different things with different students. Nobody had a shtick that you could predict. I sat there all day watching five different great teachers do only what was necessary and use different methods and use different mannerisms and and use different language. And they were, every one of them were fantastic. And it was unbelievable. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen when I put that together in my head. That So that begs the question, right? I mean, who were the five great teachers? All right. So I'm going to lead off with, he is a great friend and a true mentor of mine after that first day, Mr. Ed Ibargwin from Duke University, a master professional. Um, he, he's the guy's a genius. That guy could sell anybody a bucket of garbage. He can't. <laughs> but he's, he's just, it, it's an unbelievable, he's got an effervescent personality and he can absolutely get anybody to do anything. And they want to do it. Uh, he's he's the first one. Jack Lumpkin, the great Jack Lumpkin, now former, he's passed away. I got to go see him. Uh, I got to see another guy in, in the middle of North Carolina, in Greensboro, North Carolina, a gentleman named Robert Linville. And Robert, what a great teacher. Just a, a great human being and a great teacher. And uh, I really enjoyed being around Robert. And uh, another guy uh, in middle of North Carolina, he's now passed away. His, his name was, nobody ever heard of him. Because he, he was a, a great teacher, but he was um, really not trying to be uh, known and heard and all that. His name was Tom Williams. And Tom originally was from Indiana, but um, Tom was, uh, he'd, he'd spent most of his life running Pine Tree Golf Club in Kernersville, North Carolina. And he's a very quiet man. And uh, he, was, he was terrific, right? So there's, there's four. And then I went down to, uh, to Pinehurst. And I got to watch the legend Harvey Ward, you know, of uh, the, 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 the match uh, fame with uh, Ken Venturi playing against Hogan and, uh, right. And, and, uh, um, oh, shoot. I forget who it was. I forget who it was. Uh, Byron Nelson. That's who it was. And I got to watch Harvey Ward teach. And it was unbelievable to see these, these great teachers communicate everything they needed to communicate in a different way harvey was i watched him do something now harvey at this time he was very old and uh, he sat in a chair and this particular lesson that i remember um was a guy came down from connecticut this big strong hulking man and everything he did he was grunting and swinging as hard as he could and he was just coming way over the top and the face was open and you know what the balls is peeling off to the right and you could just see his veins pumping. And Harvey didn't say a whole lot. At this time, he was one of those old Southern gentlemen with some really funny stories. And um, he he gets up, and this guy's slashing away at these balls. And he looks back at Harvey, and Harvey gets up out of his chair and kind of teeters over him. And he gets into his personal space. Harvey gets into this big guy's personal space. He's looking up at him, and he's... And the guy's just like standing there because you know what happens when somebody's in your personal space. You kind of freeze a little bit, right? 
So we got this big guy looking down at Harvey, waiting for something. Harvey looks up at him and he says in this old southern genteel kind of voice, which is pretty interesting. He said, if you hold on tight, your ball goes right. <laughs> and then he turned around and walked away and sat down. That was what he said. And I'm like, okay, this ought to be interesting. What's going to happen now? And the guy took a deep sigh. And you could feel, you could, it was one of those where his shoulders let flump down and the, and the life came out of his body. So like, oh, right. And then what do I see happen? Is all of a sudden the guy starts hitting little chip shots and then pitch shots and then full swing shots and his hands are softer. And all of a sudden his ball straightened out. And he looks back at Harvey, and Harvey's just sitting there chewing on a cigar, grinning at him. <laughs> I thought, okay, this is this is new, <laughs> right? Harvey's doing something here that most people would do a little bit more talking, maybe a little push, <laughs> putting the hands on him, maybe showing him a little something. Harvey didn't do that. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So an interesting way to to start a golf career. Right. And, uh, you know, I was an assistant pro and I wanted to teach and, you know, sure, I wanted to play more and on and on. But, you know, I, I learned from some of the great teachers that you can really get a lot of a lot of good in the world happen if you can teach somebody to play golf. Because I saw so many students in watching these guys leave happy because not only could they do it, but they knew what how simple it could be. And uh, I, at that point, I knew I was hooked on becoming a teacher. So let's talk about a little bit of that, Jeff. I want to go back to a couple of points that you've made. And I love that last quote, by the way. Your wife playing at Indiana. Yes, Sean, McKe Sean McKeel is a great friend of the show. He played his college golf yeah. at, the, at the University of Indiana. He did. And, yeah. and you and I are roughly the same age. You're a couple of months younger than I am. Uh, Sean is is right in the same age range. Yep. Did your wife play at the time Sean was there? Same time, yeah, same time, and I'm pretty sure they know each other. Yeah. Have you have you ever got to meet Sean or spend any time with him? I did not. No. Okay. I did not. Um, Kathy introduced me to a handful of the guys on the team uh, around that time, and I don't think that Sean was one of those. I don't remember. I think it was Dan Olson. I know him. Uh, from that time frame and John Andrews, I still know John pretty well, uh, are a couple of people that were on the teams, uh, the the boys team, the men's teams uh, at the time that Kathy was on the, on the women's team. I wrote down what you said a few moments ago about how you can bring a lot of good in the world if you can teach somebody how to play golf. And I think that is outstanding and spot on, by the way. But that leads me to looking back over the course of your career and the tens of thousands of lessons and hours that you have taught people how to play the game. When you look at having taken maybe a, a high handicapper and made them into a, ha a low handicapper or someone that you've brought into a single digit handicap or a junior player that you had from the beginning that has gone on to play high school or college golf. When you look at all of the joy that you have brought into the world because you taught somebody how to play the game of golf that they will now play for a lifetime, when you reflect back on that, that has to make you feel very fulfilled and very happy about the things you've been able to accomplish over the course of your career. 
It really is. I, I was talking to a good friend of mine, um, Kevin Weeks, about this a handful of times because in the in the travels that I've had, you know, in the last few years of my teaching life, um, of going from you know a lot in Indiana uh, to now less in Indiana, where I was working with a lot of kids, a lot of kids from Southern Indiana, especially, and in, in a place where you know it's it's not the wealthiest place in the world, and these kids, you know, are learning the game of golf, and and you you talk to them and you, you see that you can help them and not just in golf, but you wind up coaching them and you wind up being a part of their, uh, their, their family, so to speak. And you wind up becoming a mentor of theirs in how you can help them grow and achieve anything because you're helping them at a time in their life when they're impressionable and they're learning things of how to, how to work hard and how to be honest and how to do the right thing. And golf teaches that game. And, and here I am helping people with golf. So I get to talk about these wonderful things about becoming a good person. And, and it, it's super fulfilling. And Kevin and I were talking about this because he loves talking to kids and working with little kids as well. You know, I'm, I'm working with them from, I don't know, basically from eighth grade on through high school. And he likes getting them a little earlier than that. But the, the, we talk about the same thing. And, and my friend James Hong out in New York, the same things go on. We talk about how we're actually having a really positive effect on, on these kids' lives. And here I am now, you know, out in Colorado, it's a different crowd. I'm not working with as many, as many juniors and, and, and more of it is, uh, you know, people who are, are adults and, and some retirees. And now down here in Florida, I'm dealing with an awful lot of re retirees in, in Florida and they're just having a great time. And I see this whole thing. I'm having a positive effect on people at whatever age, because as golfers, we're all in this struggle together. We all want to hit the ball better. We all want it to be solid. We all want it to be high and straight or do things. And we all fight that battle. And every one of the, my students now that are, you know, 20 to 30 years older than I am now, instead of the 20 to 30 years younger than I am, it's, it's really interesting because I see the same thing. I still see the relief on their face when they finally hit the shot they want, the happiness that comes when they still hit it again and again and again. And, uh, and their curiosity and their, their, it's like, it's like everything that they want finally gets to show up and there's somewhere between joy and glee and happiness. There's all those words to describe that. And here I am standing there watching this and it's just wonderful. I love it. Let's take that a step further because one of the things, and we talk about it on the show all the time from a mental aspect of the game, we do a lot of negative self-talk out on the golf course. We had a bad shot. We're down on ourselves. and. And, and that comes through far too often because, to your point, the game was is supposed to be joyful. It's supposed to be out there with friends and family, and, and we're supposed to be having a good time. We're not supposed to be down on ourselves and cursing ourselves and, you know, slamming clubs and, and doing all that sort of thing. I know we get disappointed. We all have high expectations. And I think that's, that's where the game needs some help because we, we go out there with expectations. We go out there whether we're trying to break 100, 90, 80, whatever our number is, we want to break that. And then we hit a bad one. And then we hit another bad one. And suddenly 
you know, one bad shot turns into five bad shots. And now, you know, things start to spiral downhill. And now we've, we're having a bad day and it's in, impacting everybody else that's with us. We got to get rid of that sort of thing. I, I got to imagine as you're talking to kids and seeing the joy in their face when they hit it in the air for the first time and they they make their first par and all that sort of stuff. How do we keep the game more focused on positive? Remember, Ben Hogan always talked about the most important shot is the next one. How do we keep it like that and not let the negativity start to drag us down? Well, you know, it, it, this is a tough thing because, you know, there's an awful lot of people out there and they're just, they beat themselves up because honestly, they think they should be better at it than what they are. You know, it, it looks easy because, you know, Chris, we watch golf on television and here it is the best players in the world in this game. It doesn't look like NBA basketball or NFL football or NHL hockey or Major League Baseball. It doesn't look like it takes a tremendous athlete to do it because it doesn't look like it's a tremendously athletic thing. It looks like a bunch of people casually walking around in some nice looking clothes that anybody can look like. And then they swing a club, hit a ball and make it go someplace. And they hand the club to somebody else and keep walking. It just doesn't seem like it's that hard to do. And at the same time, well, the stuff we see on television is just a highlight reel anyway. You know, the, the PGA tour stuff that people watch on TV, they're not showing the lousy shots. If you want to see those, you can go to those blooper reels you can find on YouTube. But for the most part, they're showing good shot after good shot after good shot. And they're showing the best players in the, in, in the game playing their best. And then they hone in the few groups that are playing the best that day. You know, they even miss out on some of the great players who have great rounds on a Saturday or a Sunday and they didn't even get on TV because the TV didn't chose to, to show them because they were, they're not the a featured group, so to speak, right? So the, the, the image that we are seeing as golfers about the game of golf, it looks easier than what it is. And so to keep positive about it, I have to let people know, hey, guess what? This game is a little bit harder, but it's easy to play, but it's really hard to play really well. So why don't we just stay with how can we make it fun? How can we say, let's go to this shot? You think it looks easy on TV? Well, let's try to make it look that easy here. So here you are with this in your brain. You're going, okay, let's let's not look like I have to swing as hard as I possibly can. Because half those people on TV don't look like that. The other half do. But, you know, half of them really don't look like they're trying to kill it. And then you sit there and you give it to them. And you're like, okay, let's try to make this look easy. Take a practice swing that kind of mimics the thing that you see on TV. Put that in your mind. and then. Now we got a ball on a tee. Well, let's just go get near it and do the same thing and watch what happens. And if something reasonably good happens, why don't we do that again? And I try to keep it that way so the frustration in the players don't build. Because if there's this image in their head that it looks easy and should be easy, and then they're making it hard on themselves, they're making this gigantic mental gap between what they think they ought to be able to do and what they really can do. So. I try to make sure that they don't build it up to be something that they can't do. I try to tear it down to something that they can do. And if they can do that, boy, they hit good shots. And then they look at me like, I didn't think I could do that. I'm like, well, then let's just talk about it. Here's another shot. Let's just do that. 
And let's go again and go again and go again. And then what I do is I say, hey, look, we've done this 10 times. And your percentage of success here is 70%. That's pretty darn good. And what happened on those other three that weren't so good? Hey, those weren't really all that terrible anyway. And you just try to change their mind all the time so that it isn't, I have to be perfect or I'm terrible. Because you know that's what people do. Right, right. I love all of that. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, they just you. rip themselves apart. You know, they think, I have to be perfect. There is no perfect. Right. There is no perfect. Jeff, you talked about your travel. You've gotten to be at some fantastic clubs. Timbergate for several years there in Edinburgh, yeah. Indiana. Yeah, I still get to teach at Timbergate. When I'm in Indiana, uh, I am teaching at Timbergate. Yeah. So you're there. You're at Eagle Springs in Colorado now, part-time. We I've, talk I've about- been there. Yeah, I've been at Eagle Springs for the last two summers. And and I'm not sure if I'm going to be going back again uh, to the Vale Valley this summer. That's where it is. It's in the Vale Valley, and I love it. And the people there were fantastic. And, uh, you know, it was really great to spend that kind of time uh, out in the mountains of Colorado in the summertime. I Honestly, Chris, I've not seen any place any more beautiful in my life than there. No doubt. In the summertime. And, and my wife and I are skiers. So, you know, we always had this pipe dream of, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I could teach golf in the Vale Valley in the summer and maybe be a ski instructor in the winter and you could be the town doc all year round and, you know, all that stuff. You, you know, you, you think about those things. And um, I had an opportunity to, to go out there for a couple of summers and it was just it's fantastic. I can't I can't say enough about it. And then now I'm down in, in Florida in the off season. And um, I'm in, in Naples at Bonita Bay. It's in Bonita Springs, actually. Um, and it's another fantastic facility. It just can't say enough about it. I just feel fortunate to be at a place like this. So, yeah. So let's talk about Bonita Springs and, and the facility you've got there at Bonita Bay Club, because I was looking at it online. I mean, five golf courses, absolutely breathtaking scenery from where they how they are constructed and where they are located. And, Wildlife running across the the fairways when you look at it online. It's crazy. Unbelievable facility that you get to be a part of there. Talk about what the golf courses and the and the golf community that's around it is really like. It's it's like nothing I've ever seen. And you know, and I'm just this this guy from Indiana who didn't really travel around to to areas that uh, that had an awful lot lot of retirees. You know, we're we're working stiffs. We're in southern Indiana, right? So. I didn't get to see an awful lot of the retiree kind of life, but now I see it. And, you know, honestly, I've never been around something as beautiful and well planned out as this Benita Bay community. It's crazy. Everything that you want is there. They got a a gigantic clubhouse. They've got three golf courses coming out of one facility at right in, in Benita Springs itself. And, um, Three wonderful golf courses got uh, on one of them called Bay Island. You go out toward the water from the clubhouse and then, you know, the, the, the holes meander all the way out. And then you've got these, these big, tall um, uh, apartment buildings, you know, the, you know, the waterfront condo thing. And they got a, they got a string of those out there where the golf holes are coming right at the base of those buildings. And, and they come back in toward the clubhouse and it's all gorgeous. And you go buy some, swamps i guess they call them swamps down here um you go buy some swamps and it meanders through you know some beautiful territory and you got two other golf courses and one of them goes off in one direction and you got 
homes all over the place and every one of them are beautiful and apartment complexes and all kinds of things. It's its own little city. And then about 20 minutes east of that, there's this other part of Bonita Bay that has two courses and there's no homes. And there's two beautiful Fazio golf courses out there. And if you're a member of one, you're a member of both. And you get to go out to these other two golf courses and you will not see anything but golf. You'll see, well, alligators and you'll see bears and you'll see deer and you'll see raccoons and you'll see squirrels and all kinds of things, but you will not see homes. And it's amazing. It's peaceful. So I've got two completely different kinds of places to go. And the East, uh, the East facility with the two golf courses there has this monstrous driving range. I mean, it's like a, the, the, the tee box itself is like a football field. It's literally over a hundred yards wide and it's, I think it's 60 or 70 yards deep. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, uh, so they're redoing some things. They're rebuilding a clubhouse out there right now. They're redoing one of the golf courses and they're, and they're making that driving range I just spoke of even better. And at the meantime, at the, at the, the main facility over in Benita, there's a teaching building there that has four bays and a lot of tech that's going in. And they've got a club fitting building and they've got one with a, a putting stage on the, for the floor and it changes, uh, it's a Zen stage and you can change the contour of the green and, there's just so much good in it. And um, they've got everything. they got tennis and they got pickleball and they got pools and they got all kinds of fun stuff going on. And there's there's stuff going on every <laughs> You never have to leave. You're... You do not. Honestly, there are people here from all over the country and everybody I'm working with. And I talk to them. I walk up and down the range and I'm talking to people. Everybody is happy. Everybody. Nobody <laughs> complains. They're all happy to pay whatever they paid to get into the place. And they smile, they laugh, they joke, they're having a great time. And I'm thinking, man, if this is what retirement looks like, I want to do that. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's really terrific. Jeff, like I mentioned in your intro, you've been named a top 100 instructor for the last several years. What was it like for you when you heard that you made that list the first time? Same as it is now. Mind-blowing. I... I I never thought, I never thought that I would ever have somebody say to me, you are one of the best hundred teachers in the country. We've seen your resume. We've seen, you know, cause what you do is you, uh, you, you fill out an application and they ask you an awful lot of things and you have to produce an awful lot of stuff that you have done and accomplished, which means you better keep good records, you know? Um, and, and it goes to some, committee that nobody knows who it is and next thing you know they're comparing you against some of the greatest teachers in the game and i i can't i can't think of a a higher honor honestly than to have someone say to me you're one of the best teachers in the country i i it, it's look it that was a few years ago when when i got that when i got that call and when I got that call, I was very surprised and I was very taken aback. And I sat down and I thought, no way. I don't believe this. This isn't happening. And to be honest with you, uh, it still feels the same way every day. And it's a, it's a huge honor. So that's, that's what I can think about it. 
Jeff, you've got your own wonderful podcast along with the host John Ashton. It's called Those Weekend Golf Guys. Where did you and John meet and what was the inspiration to get your podcast started? Well, John and I, um, it was interesting. John started a show, a golf talk show, and he brought me on that golf talk show as a guest. And at the end of the show, he sat me down and looked at me and says, we need to do this golf show together. This the, we, we need to do this. Let's create a golf show together. You talk so well. We get along great. He says, we can go back and forth forever. And I said, okay. So he's a radio guy and he's a golfer. And he's a, oh, I'd say he's like, um, he's really a, a five handicap. But on our show, he plays the role of a regular 18 handicap guy. And, but he's really got caring about a five. He's a good player. And, you know, our, our shtick on the show is let's just go talk golf like we're sitting around at in the 19th hole. And we can say anything we want because John's got the edit button and he knows how to take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. But Chris, our, our goal is to just talk about it like normal people. And we do not on our show talk about the PGA Tour. Because on our show, we do not care about professional golf. Our show has nothing to do with professional golf. We're not trying to have some discussion about what one of the professional golfers did that week. We don't care. We're just talking golf for the average guy. And it's just about anything that we want to say. So I'll bring my friends on, my teaching friends on the show sometimes. We'll bring people from the industry in sometimes. And the first thing we say is we have no agenda. We don't know what we're going to talk about, but we will have fun. And if we're not having fun on this show, then we're not airing it. And um, we, we've been syndicated now for, geez, I want to say six years. And we've been up to a, a hundred and some odd, um, hundred and some odd uh, cities in the country. And we podcast the thing. And pretty soon, I think we're just going to not do bother with the radio stations. We just like the podcast because we can go longer. Because right now, the syndicator kind of gives us some time frames we have to work within, you know, the 11 minute segment here, 10 minute segment there. And you got to kind of, you got to kind of chill out on when you know you're up against the clock, you got to kind of watch what you say and when you say it and all that. And we're kind of like, well, <laughs> might be time to just go podcast only we can go as long as we want <laughs> right yeah but you know we when we get people on the show we're, we're telling them look let your hair down let's talk this is this is not stuffy we're not full of ourselves here this is nothing at all serious let's not act like it is and next thing you know we have a lot of fun and um it's 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 a good time i like doing it Jeff, I want to switch gears because I want to get some playing lessons from you. And I went out on YouTube and saw a recent video you put out there discussing that there is no one right way to swing, but there is so much conflicting information out there. You can watch one video and you can see it. This is how you should do it. You watch another video. It conflicts with what that other video said. Plus, everybody has something that we are dealing with, whether it's a I've had recent ankle surgery. I got an ankle thing. I got a hip thing. I could have a shoulder thing or a back thing. How can we get a swing that matches up with any physical limitations that we have? 
and then weed out all the bad information and stick with what is right and what's good for us so we can make a good golf swing. Well, you know, and this is a, a good point that you bring up, and I, I talk about this, and, you know, I've stood up in front of a handful of groups of whatnot and, and some other teachers, and I'm like, hey, look, let, let's let's get to this. There's a lot of people out there that think that the golf swing should look like this, and they all have something different. If somebody said, you've got, you know, the golf swing, and somebody else got the golf swing, you're like, wait a minute, we're dealing with different bodies here. We're different people. Who knows? if that body could even produce anything like that, but they can produce something and they can repeat that something. And if that something can go through the bottom of that golf ball, then we've got something now. Now we can work with it. Can we make it more powerful? Sure we can. Somehow. Is it change the motion to make it more powerful? Sometimes it is, but it has to be within what that person can repeat. Cause Chris, let, let's just say that you come to me on the golf course and we say, okay, I want to play around. Let's go, let's go get out there. And I see something go on, but I watch how you walk and I ask you a couple of questions about how your body's doing and different body parts and kind of figure out range of motion. I might be able to, even within two or three holes, you know, have you stand over it slightly differently and change an angle of this or change a body part, you know, from moving this way to moving that other way. And next thing you know, you're swinging the club into the back of the golf ball differently. It's coming in from a whole different place. And the club face now is someplace, something that we'll talk about right after that. Sometimes we talk about it before it. Depends on what the problem might be. Maybe the golf swing is okay, and maybe the club face is not so good. So, you know, we, we talk about it, and we say, okay, what's this person's issue? And I can do it on the golf course. I can do it on the range. I can do it in the short game area. It doesn't matter. It's just a matter of finding out how does this person going to get the club to touch the ball and tell it what to do. And if we can make that happen, my God, we can make golfers. But you know, when it's done on the golf course, they see it in context to where their ball usually goes. And they compare it. And they're like, man, I'm never here. I'm always way back there off to the right. Now I'm way down here out in the middle. I'm like, yeah, you want some more of that? <laughs> they, always seem to want them. they always seem to want some more of that so you know it's pretty interesting um the golf course is a place to learn and it's a place to have fun and sometimes it's a place to challenge yourself so sometimes we'll just put them on the golf course and we'll say all right let's let's talk about it let's let's pick these two things let's go hit it between those two things and let's see what we can get done what's it going to take to get it between those two things next thing you know they're starting to tell me and I'll ask, hey, does that feel like you can repeat that? Does it feel like something you can move that way? And next thing you know, they, they tell me yes or no. And I can find out, watch it move. And then if I can put the ball in the right spot and have them aimed in the right place, the next thing you know, their ball's going where they want. They just look over at me like, you knew that was going to happen, didn't you? I'm like, well, yeah. Sure <laughs> <laughs> did. And I'll just say, look, I'm trusting you to do your part. I'm just throwing out some tidbits of information for you, and I'm trusting that you can do your part. And the more you do your part, the more you believe in that, the more you know it's going to happen, you'll have more confidence because you saw it. And next thing you know, they're happy. So it's fun. A couple of days ago, you and John did an episode of the podcast talking about how to break 100, 90, 80, whatever our number is. Can you give us some tips for how we can break through those barriers? Because a lot of times, it's a mental thing that we have to get through. Some swing, 
but it's also mental as well. How do we get through that? Well, you know, a lot of times I like to break the person down in levels of confidence to say, I want to give you confidence that you can touch the ball well first, because if contact is good, then the confidence level rises because we're all golfers. Chris, every time you touch a club into a ball, you instantly know whether you touched it well or touched it poorly. And you put it into these mental buckets of I stink or I don't stink, right? So I try to go for contact first. So that means, can I get them to land the club in the right spot? And if I can give them some confidence that their club goes through the right space at the bottom, then we can talk about where the club face tells the ball to go. And as soon as we do those two things, they can break their number because we can keep it to that thing that they can do and they know they can do. Because even if the number's breaking 90, right, that's a big barrier for a lot of people that play golf and that count correctly, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so we start with saying, okay, if we're going to break 90, let's make sure contact is good. So I look at, does the club land at the right spot and is the club face pointed where they want it? Those two things right away makes it feel good. And then if it's going in the right place because the club face is telling it to and it's landing in the right spot, if the club's coming in at some crazy angle that we don't want, we'll just change the angle of their stance or their alignment. And we'll say, okay, now we got the club coming from the right place, landing at the right spot, and the club face is good. That means look up at your target because that's where your ball's going. And their confidence level goes up when they see it. Like, oh, I got, I can do that. Next thing you know, I've got them fast tracked down the road of, I can do this. And then they do it with multiple clubs. And you know what? They're right. They can do this. And they don't have to struggle nearly as much. And then we teach them how to putt. Then we teach them how to short game it. But I got to teach them how to putt because there's a lot of people that can hit a ball and they can hit it close to the green and chip it somewhere toward the middle and then they wind up three putt. So if the number is what they're trying to break, I got to do the things that take away the big numbers. You know, we got to straighten out the club face. We got to make sure the plat the, the swing direction is coming in. We got to make sure the contact's there and their confidence is high. And then I got to give them confidence in their putting. So we talk about, can you hit it the right distance? Can you get your ball to stop at the hole? Wouldn't that be fun? And next thing you know, they can do that. And next thing you know, their second putt is a short one. It's kind of how I evaluate people when they can when they could putt, you know, I'm like, Hey, what's the, what's the length of your second putt? And they look at me like, huh? I'm like, is it two feet or is it 10 feet? I'm like, Oh, I see what you mean now. And they go, yeah, I got a lot of five, six footers for second putts. I'm like, okay, let's work on the first one. I'm like, what? Don't you want to work on the second one? Nope, not yet. I want to work on the first one. So you don't have the second one. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Oh, that makes sense. And so yeah. if, if we can do those things, here we are chipping away at the things that eat at their confidence. And then they can make their number. Then they can get there. But if they never, if they don't hit enough decent enough strikes or decent enough putts, they don't have the confidence to get there. And they're going to shoot 90 to 100 for a long time because they just don't believe in themselves anymore. Let's talk, speaking of confidence, one of the clubs that very few of us have confidence in is hitting a three-wood off the deck. 
And a couple of months ago, you guys did an episode talking about the idea of ditching our three wood in favor of a five wood. Talk about why we should consider that. Well, most people should consider that because what always happens with their three wood? They top it. They don't hit it off the ground very well. They don't hit it very high. And the ball just doesn't go very far. But a lot of people don't have enough club head speed to when they do hit a three wood that it will launch in the air and stay in the air. And so if I give them a five wood, they can actually do that because the ball will launch in the air and it'll get in the air, stay in the air longer. And next thing you know, they hit a better shot with a five wood than they did with the three wood. And they didn't really have much chance to hit with a three wood. And most golfers are in the category of people who just don't have enough club head speed to get a three wood in the air and keep it in the air long enough that they could actually hit it better than a five wood. So sometimes I split the difference, go, okay, let's go get a 17 degree four wood in our hands and let's see what happens. But an awful lot of time, they will outperform their three wood with their five wood almost all the time. Even some of my tournament players, because the three wood can become the death club for them because they want to hit it and they want to knock it up to there in two and all that stuff on those par fives or those long, long par fours. But the trouble is, is that they pay a higher price. You know, if you don't hit it well, it's like if you cold top something or if you just hit it thin and it just doesn't go very far, you got a longer third shot and you sit there and think, I really should have hit that three wood better. But the truth is, is that three would cost them a lot of strokes. And if you're a tournament player, you probably ought to leave that thing in the trunk of the car. (laughs) Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to get your thought because you guys also, about a month or so ago on on the podcast, you talked about, is the USGA getting out of touch with the weekend golfer? (laughs) Are they? I think so. I think so. And, And You know, you can go back and listen to our podcast and listen to me ranting about that because that's what I do on our show. But what I think about it is this. this, It came up because of this most recent thing. And I know you've talked about it ad nauseum with people, so I won't beat it to death. But the whole, hey, let's roll the golf ball distance back thing for everybody. This, all it does is negatively affect the masses who don't have enough club head speed Anyway, they need all the help they can get. And I think that the USGA in doing that has just proven once again that they're interested in the top levels of golf competition, but they're really not in tune with the regular player. And that's why I think the regular everyday golfer, they pretty much use sort of golf. You know, they're ignoring a handful to 10 of the rules anyway, because Many of them don't even know what they all are anyhow. They think they know. They're really not sure. And um, so they're not even playing by all the rules to begin with. And some of them, they don't even want to play by some of them. Like that play it as it lies thing. Chris, Chris, you've just knocked your ball right down the middle of the fairway. You've just crushed it. You've hit the drive of the day. And that thing winds up in somebody else's divot. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, my pet peeve. I hate that rule. I do. I hate it too. 
<laughs> it's the biggest one that we all know for sure we hate. So the question I've got for you is, in your group that you play with on a regular basis, are you making each other play that shot? Nope. Or are you rolling it out of there? We're rolling it out of there. This is what I mean by the USGA is a little out of touch, right? Because we're all playing sort of golf. How many people are playing with, with breakfast balls off the first tee, right? Oh. Taking a mulligan, right? Yeah. Yep. How many people are given four-foot putts and three-footers? Because they just do. Are we cheating? Well, by you, if we just use the rule book, yep, sure are. But if we use what everybody's doing, nope, that's commonplace. So I think the USGA is just continuing to make themselves less and less relevant to the average golfer, to the regular club player, public golf course player. They're just out there hitting and trying to do it. They're rolling the ball all the time anyway. In the fall, the leaves are coming all off the trees, and the, they're just throwing the ball out wherever they can find one anyway, right? There's so many instances you could talk about, you know, carrying more than 14 clubs, whatever it is. There's so many violations of the of the rules that no one will care to deal with. They don't care. And so I think that the USGA in this golf ball rollback thing has just been one more thing that basically says we're not really writing these rules for the everyday golfer. So I think that they're effectively becoming less and less relevant for that kind of a player, which is the majority of the players in the world. Jeff, one more before I let you go. Okay. One of the other things that you guys talked about back in the fall was for the folks heading down to Florida for the winter, understanding the differences between the grasses in, let's say, Indiana, for instance, versus the yeah. grass in Florida. Talk about the adjustments that we need to make when we're coming from the north down to Florida this winter to play golf, because there's a lot of things that are different. Grasses are one of them that are yeah. going to have an impact on our game. Well, you got that right. You know, I have this. Um, you know, so I've, I've spent most of my life, um, albeit, you know, a decade of it in North Carolina where there's a bunch of Bermuda grass down there too, but I spent the majority of my life playing on bent grass and bluegrass, stuff that grows upright and it's not all snarly. And then all of a sudden you roll down to Bermuda grass territory in the South and all of a sudden this grass is awfully grabby and the ball sits down in this little poof of grass almost all the time and it's a different kind of grass and it's got some stuff up at the top and the ball sits down in it a little bit and it's hard to get your club through and it's difficult and i can tell you there's a certain number of swear words in the world that we all know i think people make up new ones when they start playing on bermuda grass <laughs> <laughs> i just do <laughs> So one of the things that I try to teach people down here after I've learned it myself, right, is to see how I can take the leading edge out of play. Because when they're hitting shots around the greens, especially when it's soft and wet and sandy, but it's got Bermuda grass. Next thing you know, you've got a whole bunch of kind of grass and the ground that isn't like you're used to from up north. This stuff basically stops your club even though you got it moving at a fairly decent clip it'll stop your club and you'll stick it in the ground and your ball will go nowhere and you will not be happy so i'll get people to play the ball a little bit more forward than they're used to playing 
And so that way they can come in and use the sole plate of the club as a slider on the surface. So a lot of people will talk about using the bounce. Well, what does that really mean? It means that it scuffs along the surface. And the leading edge of the club is neither down nor is it up very much. So I don't want to put it too far forward and open up the club too much because I don't want the leading edge to skull the ball. But what I do want is to make sure the leading edge does not dig. So I play more of these shots and talk about these shots that are into the grain and into the Bermuda grass as let's find a way to deal with the leading edge so it is not down. Because if it's down, it's going to dig, it's going to grab, the grass is going to grab it, and you're not going to be happy. You're just not going to be happy. So I try to put the ball a little bit forward of center. I try to use less wrist hinge. And I try to get the club coming in and slide below the ball. And a lot of people have a lot more success when they try that versus that up and down movement of the, of the leading edge of the club. Because nobody puts the ball in the right spot when they try that, and then they just jab it into the ground. It's a tough deal. So when you're dealing with this Bermuda stuff, the first thing I can say is let's let's act like the leading edge of our club is not down when we go onto that ball. That's the that's the first thing to think. Jeff, before I let you go, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online, on your show, or on social media? Well, you know, I, I got a couple of little things that I do, right? I'm on Facebook at, uh, you know, my, my name is just Jeff Smith and I've got a, I've got a Facebook page. It's Jeff Smith Golf Instruction as well. And then, uh, Jeff Smith Golf Instruction on Instagram. And, uh, I don't really do the Twitter much. I've got a, I've got a handle there. I got an at JMSPGA, but I, I really don't spend much time there. Um, but the stuff I do, uh, the, those weekend golf guys, uh, show are, are podcasts. There's an awful lot that we do there. And, um, so you could find us pretty much any place that you can get a podcast from Spreaker to, to Google podcast, to, to iHeartRadio, to Apple podcast, where basically we're everywhere where podcasts are being heard. And, um, but on occasion I'll, I'll change some things on my website, but I haven't done that in a little while, but it's really not a promotional thing for the stuff that I'm doing, but we'll, if you stick up with me on social media, that's that's where you can find me. So you can just look up, me, up for me at, at Jeff Smith on Facebook. And at the time, I'm you know I got a little avatar up there, a little picture of me standing there in the mountains playing golf, having a good time. So that's how you can find me. Very good, Jeff. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come be a part of this show. You're fantastic, my friend. It's easy to see why you're a top 100 instructor in our game. You're fantastic. You, you're the right teacher with the right temperament, with the right information that all of us could benefit from. So I thank you so much for taking the time and coming in and being a part of the show. I hope I get the privilege again of having you back sometime. Thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate the kind comments. And, um, you know, we'll we'll certainly do this again. I'll, I'm happy to come on and, and certainly talk to you about golf at any point. So thank you very, very much. much. Take all care, right. Jeff. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. See you, Jeff. Mm, bye now. That is Jeff Smith. And again, folks, when you think about why is somebody named a top 100 instructor in our game, how do you do it? Well, you heard Jeff talk about you got to put a lot of information together and this, that, and the other thing. But I think you heard in the course of this conversation exactly why he's a top 100 instructor. And I meant that sincerely. He is the right coach with the right temperament 
to help us figure out what we're doing with our swing. And that part about talking about, we all have a thing, right? I mean, I just had ankle surgery. So I got a right ankle thing now. I also got a right hip thing. I got, you know, knees that are not the best that they've ever been. So we, we all got something, right? Jeff has got the eye and the ability to take a look at that something and then build a swing around it so that he talked about how can we do it and re it's repeatable and how can we get a little more distance and refine it a little more and, and all of that sort of thing. And the next thing you know, we're probably playing really good golf and breaking through whatever barrier it is. If you're trying to break 100, trying to break 90, trying to break 80, he's going to build a golf swing that's going to help you get there. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a guy that understands. And it's so perfect that they're those weekend golf guys is the name of their show because we're just weekend golf guys out there trying to do it. And they're talking about ways that we can do it. And they're talking about everyday stuff, but they're also giving us nuggets about how we can do it and do it differently and better and get more out of our golf game. That again, that's why he's a top 100 instructor. That's why he's one of the best in our game. And I can't thank him enough for coming and sharing a little bit of that. And hopefully we get to spend some time with him uh, again a little bit later on this year and get a little bit more. I love, I love what we talked about and love listening to him. And like I say, perfect temperament for the kind of things that we want to do on this show. And that's play better golf. And he's going to help. Coming up next, we're going to get a return visit from the best golf course photographer on the planet and probably ever, in my opinion, and that is Evan Schiller. Before Evan joins us, I want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs are the unofficial underwear of the PGA, Ryder Cup, and President's Cup teams and are sold in over 3,000 golf pro shops and golf specialty retailers nationwide. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, they are David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXTONT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R dot com. Two under, performance in your pants. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is Evan Schiller. As you guys know, Evan is the best golf course photographer ever in my book. Go check out his work online at evanschillerphotography.com. Going back into his golf career, played his college golf at the University of Miami, where in the 1981-82 season, he helped them to a third-place finish in the Andy Bean Classic, a fourth-place finish in the Furman Invitational, another fourth-place finish in the Southeast Invitational, and in the all-or-nothing tournament at Athens Country Club, they finished fifth, and earned a berth into the National Championship Tournament at Pinehurst, where they finished 10th. He had another strong team there in 1983, and Evan helped them finish 2nd at the FIU Sunshine Invitational. He qualified to play in events on the PGA Tour from 1984 to 1988, including the 1986 U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills. Evan has now photographed well over 600 championship courses worldwide, and I couldn't be more honored I get to have him back with me this week here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Evan, thanks for coming back on the show. It's a treat. It's always a treat to be on. I thank you once again. 
Evan, I want to start our time this time by talking about your calendar because every year it's a must-buy. How'd you go about deciding which images you wanted to include this year? Well, um, I don't know if there's a simple answer. I uh, I generally like to include photos I've taken over the last couple of years. Generally, during the year, there's one photo that I'll take or capture, and immediately I know it's the cover shot. And that happened to be the one that was on the cover this year of Stream Song, uh, the 18th hole of Red Court. It, um, so for that picture, it was my first. I had never been to Stream Song. It was my first morning. I, I kind of went out there blind <clears throat> a little bit. Uh, I went to the, I just, I decided I'm going to go on the back nine of the red course. And I start over in 18 and the whole place was enveloped with fog. And so I thought, well, 18th hole looks like the only hole that could possibly, you know, not be in the fog because it's, it's higher up on the property. And so I went there and hung out and the fog started to clear. And uh, I got that shot that's on the cover. <laughs> um, and, you know, the whole golf course was in the fog except 18. So it was a pretty, and I knew that moment that that was going to be the cover. Um, I like it just, I like to have a variety from around the country, you know, overseas if I can. You know, I got one in there from the Caribbean this year. Um, just a mixture. Uh, you know, I go through the photos that I've taken and I just, you know, pick some that catch my eye that were kind of interesting to capture. You know, it was a, neat, a unique moment. <clears throat> So it, I don't I don't have a formula. It's just, you know, what I decide. Evan, I'm particularly fond of May again for the second year in a row because the Pete Dye course at the French Lick Resort is one of my favorites. So many beautiful vistas when you're playing that golf course. Talk about your time photographing there. Well, well, that, again, that I was there in July. It was my first time there. And... um that photo of the sixth hole that the die course is uh, i loved it it's um it's beautiful but i mean i love i like pete die um but that course where it sits as you know is it sits up on a on a ridge so the views are amazing of the um you know the mountains and the hills um and the two mornings i was out there there was this low-level fog, and I'm not too dissimilar from when I was at Streamsong, um, just a whole different topography. Uh, and both mornings I was out there shooting, there was this low-level fog. In fact, one morning, part of the part of the course was completely in the fog, um, and you know, and the sun came up and you know hit the hit the fog and those hills, and it was just a, an amazing morning. But um, I loved it. I really, I like the whole place. I mean, I like, I love the die course. I like the, um, the, the, um, the Ross course as well. Um, just a really nice place. Beautiful area back there in the hills or the mountains um, of Indiana. So, and the hotels, the hotels are, are just amazing. The old, old history of those hotels is amazing. Um, it was a fascinating trip. I mean, I love the drone videos that you have now that uh, I I got to take a look at several of them on your site. And yeah. one of them is of the seventh hole at Pebble Beach. It's fantastic. I, I was curious 
because not only is it a breathtaking view of that hole, but I, I was wondering how, how in the world did you get the drone to, to be steady because the winds on seven are typically unbelievable. And you've got a wonderful drone shot that looks just as steady and as beautiful as it possibly could. Um, well, one of the things about all drones, and some are better than others, they the camera is on a gimbal. And for anybody who doesn't know what a gimbal is, it's basically it's hooked to the bottom of the drone. And it, in other words, in the, the drone could be shaking or going rocking back and forth, but the job of the gimbal is to keep the camera steady and level. And, you know, people use them not just on drones, but they use them on photo shoots. In other words, people will have a handheld camera that's, you know, on this contraption that holds a gimbal, and they can walk around and the camera stays still. So that's the job of the gimbal is to keep the keep the camera level and steady. So, you know, when I'm videoing, I I, I can control the camera, you know, I can control the the uh, the drone from side to side, I can control the camera from up and down, you know, like panning up and down or side to side. Um, but while I'm doing that, uh, the gimbal is holding that can't level and steady. So that's how you get the um, the steady footage. It also has to do with the setting uh, and the way you um, shoot video, which is a little different than stills. And actually, if you look, you know, in other words, a video is just a series of still images. And if you look at, so you show, you shoot video at a very low speed. So if you actually look at each individual frame on a video, it's a little bit blurred, which is intentional because when they, when you play it back, it has a, it's much smoother than if every image was very clear and sharp. So that's what you do when you shoot video. You actually shoot it at a low speed. So the, each frame is slightly blurred, so when you when it's moving, you can't notice it, but it makes for a much smoother video. And that's probably a lot more information than anybody wants to know. <laughs> no, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> Evan, I've talked to several guys that have gone out there and played at Pebble Beach, and they've talked about using anywhere from a three iron to a lob wedge when they get to seven, depending on what the wind is doing. I'm guessing you've teed it up out there a few times. What have been sort of your range of clubs when you've gotten to that hole. I never played it in the wind, to be honest. I mean, I, I've played Pebble a handful of times, but every time I've played it, the weather's been great. Although, when I was there last, actually, it was a year ago, it was December of uh, 2022, I was there. And there was one day the storm came through, and there was a group who had obviously booked the course for the day they had an outing and it was the wind was howling i don't know how how hard it was blowing but i watched the flag in 18 and it was almost hitting it was bending over so much it was almost hitting the ground wow um and i saw these poor people out there playing because you know they had an outing and it's probably their one shot to play pebble beach and i did see a video afterwards some guy hit a driver <laughs> I've wow I've never personally experienced that, but I did see the video of it, and he hit it to about three feet. Wow. Yeah. You can probably impressive. go find the video on YouTube somewhere because it was, <laughs> it was floating around last year. Evan, as you know, Macklemore is one of my partners, and you've gone up there and you photographed that course and 
Bill Bergen and Reese Jones have gotten back together and they're collaborating on a second golf course there that's due to open later this spring, early summer called the Keep. Are you going to be going back and taking photographs of the new golf course? Uh, I don't know. I hope so. I mean, I hope I hope they call me to do so. Um, you know, I've been following it a little bit and I, you know, I talk to Bill every once in a while. Um, and I'm I'm sure it's going to be great. And I think there's going to be the original course had that one hole which was along the cliff, but I think this the new course is going to have um a few more holes along the cliffs. I th- that's what I heard. I don't Yeah, know no, that's true. I don't know that there's any truth. Yeah, so there's going to be more holes um along the cliffs. So I'm 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 anxious to see it. I hope I do get to see it. Evan, going back in your career, you took pictures for the Masters Journal for many years, and I think 13 is the most photographed hole in golf. And like a song that has several singers that cover it, how do you go back and and put your own stamp on photographs of the 13th hole when there are so many pictures of it? How'd you do it your way, if you will? Um, Wow. I... um... Yeah, I don't know. You know, it was, yeah, I know it's hard to, you know, get a unique photo of the 13th hole because, like you said, there's been so many shots taken of it. I was actually shooting for um, Golf Digest in the Master's Journal. Um, in fact, I think they used the one photo I took at 13 on the, on the, um, the cover of the Master's Journal. Um, you know, a lot of it could depend on the time of day you take it, the light. Um, which could make all the difference. Um, so I don't know if I had any secret. I mean, it's not, you know, I, I particularly like actually 13. I like the, the angle from behind and right of the green where you're kind of looking down on the green and you can see, you get a good view of Ray's Creek. You can see the depth of it. You can see if you catch it at the right time. In other words, if you catch it, so this in the morning, the sun rises and shoots right down the hole, like towards the green. So if you get up behind the and behind and to the right of the green, you get the sun right as it's just coming over those trees. You can get some really cool shadows on the green and Ray's Creek and on the, on the azaleas, which is really which is really nice. Which I I that's the time you know when I like to shoot that hole. What's it like to be out on Augusta National when there's nobody else there? I wouldn't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I had the, you know, the one time I, well, I've, I went to the Masters several times. Um, the time that I went out there, um, when there was nobody there, it's, um, I've never been there when they didn't have the, um, uh, you know, the infrastructure, the grandstands for the tournament. Um the time I shot the course was the week, the week before the tournament. I went, I went the week before the tournament to shoot the golf course, but you know, the grandstands were up. Um, but it's, uh, it's kind of unique. It's, it's quiet. It's really quiet. Um, I really, I really liked that. I mean, there was, you know, grounds crew and people out there, but you know, there was no gallery. So it was kind of, and it was odd to be able to take a cart and drive around the golf course. <laughs> I bet <laughs> that was that. I think that was the that was the coolest part. Is being, like, hey, I'm trying, I'm taking a cart driving around Augusta National. 
Evan, as you know, one of the top places on my bucket list is to go over to Ireland and play Old Head. Brent Dornford, their head of marketing, has become a wonderful friend of the show. Speaking of a place that can get a lot of wind, what's it been like for you when you've been out on that peninsula taking photographs of that beautiful golf course? Uh, I have been on Old Head when it was windy. In fact, there was one time I was out there, it was so windy. And I, you've been there. I assume you've been there. Um, the uh, the cliffs are, you know, you, you there's a few tees where you're standing on the tee, and that cliff is right there, and it's a sheer drop, you know, two, three hundred feet. Um, so when the wind's blowing, it gets a little bit hairy. Um, <laughs> so I, I remember playing one day; it was really windy, and I just you get a little nervous getting next to those cliffs. But you know, it's without a doubt one of the most spectacular settings. For any golf course in the world, um, and you know, I've been fortunate to uh, capture it. Uh, I've been there numerous times, and I've had, been lucky because I've caught it on some really, really great days. Um, and so, yeah, but you catch it on a, a really beautiful day. There's there's few places in the world that are like it. Um, and you even got to go up in the lighthouse one time. The last time we were there, we got to go up in the lighthouse. Um, which was really interesting because we met the the keeper. There's a keeper to the lighthouse who's lived there. I don't know. I, I, it was over 20 years, 25 years. In fact, he grew up there because his father was the keeper of the lighthouse. So he gave us this whole tour. We t- went up there. He gave us the whole, you know, rundown on the lighthouse. How he watched. He got to watch Old Head being built. So he was there. So that that was really, really fascinating. Um, really loved that. You know, and Brent um set that one up for us. So yeah, I I haven't been back in a while, but that's one place I would love to get back to because it's um it's quite the quite the place. And Kinsale, the town that's nearby, is also really, really wonderful. Charming. Charming town. It's got great, great inns, great restaurants, the harbor's beautiful. Um yeah, it's it's one of the better trips that I've ever made. For those of us looking to put together a buddies trip, you've obviously played and photographed courses around the world. Where are some places that we should really consider going? Wow. Um, well, in my opinion, Bandon Dunes is the best golf destination on the planet. <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know that there's a place that rivals it when it comes to the number and the quality of golf courses. Um, and they just they just do it right. You know, they have five courses that are, you know, in the top 100, arguably, you know, in the top 100, I mean, top 75, maybe. Um, and then, you know, they've got the par three course, and now they're building the new par three course. Uh, so that's that's one place. Um, Whistling Straits and Black Wolf Run, they're both part of the Kohler uh, collection, are really. Um, I was just there in September. Another fabulous, fabulous destination. There's, so, you know, there's so many great places to play golf now. Um, you know, I mean, in the winter time, you know, people are looking to go play. I mean, I would go to the Caribbean play um, Punta Espada. I mean, that to me, that's one of my favorite spot places, courses I've ever been to um, in the Dominican Republic. You know, it's, I mean, it's a jazz. 
I mean, I think it's one of Jack Nicholas's best best courses. Um, trying to think of what else. I mean, there's just you know, there's so many wonderful spots. You know, Stream Song and Kiowa, and, um, and you can pretty much point yourself in any direction and find something that's really, really great. Let's take the opposite side of that coin. What are some places here in the states? that are really flying under the radar, people don't know enough about, but should really go out there and try to play them? Uh, that's so public or private or either, or either one? Yeah, either one. Well, there's one. Uh, it's a private course up in Massachusetts, Dedham Polo and Country and Polo Club. It's an old um, Seth Rayner course, which I just I really, really love. Evan, I want to get back to your website and the fact that I don't see a lot of courses from my home state of Pennsylvania listed there. I think you've got a couple. Why is Pennsylvania not uh, calling Evan Schiller to get you to come out there and photograph their golf courses? I would have guessed Oakmont, at a minimum, would be calling you. Um, Philadelphia Cricket Club is on there. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know what? I actually haven't photographed a lot, a ton of courses in Pennsylvania. I mean, and not by choice see the way my i know a lot of people think i just go around shooting golf courses you know i pick some courses and i go shoot and it's it's actually it's not how my business works all the shoots come about because i'm hired by these courses so i i basically go with who hires me um and i haven't had you know a ton of courses i guess maybe they maybe they don't like me i don't know um, I, <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine that could be true. Yeah, I haven't had a ton. You know, I, I shot Philadelphia Country Club a long time ago, a while back. Um, and then it was, you know, also uh, the Cricket Club. Uh, but I, I'm trying to think if there's any others that I... Uh, I actually know, sorry, Nemecolin Woodlands is on there. Um, I think it's on there. Yeah, Nemecolin Woodlands is on there. That's Pennsylvania. Um, Western Pennsylvania, which is also a really nice spot. Um, they also have two couple feet died. Yeah, off. yes, they do. Um, trying to think of any. Other. Yeah, so those are the one. That's you know, I think that's that's it for Pennsylvania. Right, I can recall. Looking ahead to the rest of 2024, I know you were telling me prior to the show you've got a, a Florida trip that's coming up, but what are some of the places that are on your calendar to shoot this year? Uh, wow. Yeah, I've actually, and I spent a lot of time in 2023 in Florida. I mean, I, I think I spent most of October and November down there, a lot of October, November down there. Um, it's, uh, boy, Florida's booming with golf. It's, it's really amazing so as far as 2024 um i have a trip to the caribbean i think a trip to the caribbean coming up uh at the end of this month to um uh anguilla uh then further down the line i'm looking for i'm going out to california to shoot olympic um i'm looking forward to seeing the the uh the renovations that gil hans did there so i i shot it you know, two years ago before the renovation. So now I'm looking forward to going out and seeing that. Um, I'm going to make a trip to Bandon, right? That's going to be my West Coast swing. I'm going to go to Bandon and down, then down to Olympic. Uh, let's see, in June, 
I got a few shoots in, in May. Uh, I'm going out to the desert in April to shoot Desert Mountain. Uh, in June, I'm going down to um, uh, East Lake because uh, Andrew Green's doing a renovation at, at East Lake. So I'm going to go down and shoot that in June. Um, really looking forward to that. Um, trying to think, but those are the ones that those are the ones that, that come to mind. There's there's others. Um, May oh, I'm going to uh, November, October, November, going down to Costa Rica to shoot the um, Four Seasons, the Papagayo, I think it's yeah, that's how you pronounce it. Um, so those are the three that I, that I'm um, that come to mind that I'm really looking forward to. There's others, um, but those are the kind of three of the highlights that. And I'm looking forward to. Yeah, well, I'm excited to hear that you're going to be here in Atlanta at East Lake to to shoot the the redesign there. So yeah, that's... I'm really looking forward. I spoke to Andrew Green a little bit about it. He's really excited. I'm excited to see it because I just I love his work. Um, I was just down in uh, end of October, beginning of November. I shot Indian Creek, which he um, just did a renovation of not too long ago. That's quite the place. So Tom Brady's new house. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know anything about Indian Creek. It's a private island in Kibis in Kibis Gain, Um That you got a little bridge that goes over to the island, and it's it's pretty exclusive. And the golf course is surrounded by these, you know, mansions. I mean, and you you name it. The, you know, Jeff Bezos has a place there. Brady has a place there. Clubhouse is this old Spanish architecture. Um, building that dates back a ways it's just a be- i mean amazing beautiful beautiful spot with you know it's incredible views of miami beach downtown miami um yeah they have their own police force really yeah oh yeah on the land and in the water wow they have boats circling well when you consider <laughs> who li- when you consider who lives there i would think yeah they have to um, wow Julio Iglesia, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, yeah, who's who. Cool place, cool spot. Golf course is wonderful. Do you have a a bucket list of your own, whether it's places that you want to play or go shoot? Do you have places that you still have on a list that you want to get to at some point? I do, actually. Um, I would love to go to New Zealand. I haven't been that. Australia, New Zealand. I would love to go down there. Tasmania. Um, I would say that's probably the top of the list. Um, closer to home, I would love to go to um, Sand Hills. And I've never been to Sand Hills. That's kind of, I mean, of all the courses that I have not been to, that would be the top of the list here in the U.S. Um, yeah, I... I'd like to make another trip back to Scotland. I haven't been there in a while. Um, I would love to go down to um, uh, Cabot St. Lucia. I haven't been down there yet. The new course that um, Cabot built down there. So, yeah, those are probably the top of my list. Evan, before I let you go, remind our listeners again. How can they stay up to date with you, follow you on your website, on social media as well? Get a copy of your calendar and then get prints of your fantastic uh, golf courses that you've done. Sure. 
Well, uh, my website is is evanschillerphotography.com. Um, so that's my website. You can buy prints there. You can buy the calendar there. Um, you can follow me. On, I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, LinkedIn. Uh, Evan Schiller Photography probably will find find it on any of those platforms. Um, or just type in my name, you can probably find it somewhere there. You can also, if you go to my website, all my, I think there's, it tells you all of what my uh, social media handles are or links are. So that's one way. Well, Evan, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. Your work is off the charts good. Like, I, and I meant it sincerely in your intro, you're the best of all time. There's well, no question hey, I, that your work is. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Um, it's it's always a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for what you do. Evan, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up again soon. Definitely. Thanks, Chris. Take care, Evan. All right. Bye. Bye. That is the great Evan Schiller, folks. And I sincerely mean it. They don't come better from a personal standpoint and from a photography standpoint. His work is absolutely the best to me that there's ever been. You go on his website, evanschillerphotography.com. You scroll through the different courses. You scroll through it. Again, you can sort it any way you want, by country, by state, by golf course. It's all there for you to kind of scroll through and, and see the fantastic work he's done. And now the drone work on top of that. So you get the the videos of the courses as well and some of the holes that he has done. It's just breathtaking work. It's going to be something. The calendar is one thing you're going to get, you know, obviously you're going to get 12 photographs there that you can have. It's a must buy every year for me, hanging in the studio. It's great. I don't care what the calendar month it is. I just care about the pictures. And then you go on his website and you can buy the prints and they are just, like I say, it's going to be something that you're going to want all over the house. It's not just right for the den. I mean, you put it in your living room. I mean, these these photos are just spectacular for what's in the background on a lot of them. You get the course, you got a lot of the background images, the shadow, the lighting, everything about it is just unbelievable. Evan's the best there's ever been at this. And I'm honored. He, tonight was the fifth time I got to have him as part of the show. Each time I learned a little something, the gimbal piece about the, you know how he's keeping the camera work so spectacular on the drone images. And then when you look at the pictures that he's got available, and again, new ones all the time, new courses added all the time, you just scroll through them and you're just in awe of what Evan is able to capture and his patience to capture it in just the perfect lighting is something that I've remarked about to him on previous shows that he's joined me on and how he stands out there and he's on whatever he's on. A lot of times he's he's standing on a, on a ladder or whatever just to capture just the right image at the right time. Like he talked about the fog at uh, at French Lick, but it's just a very thin layer of the fog that he was able to capture that makes that picture stand out. He's a genius for what he does, and I'm grateful that he's become a wonderful friend of the show, and I hopefully get the opportunity to catch up with him again real soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the T. My sincere thanks again. To Mike McGee, Jeff Smith, and Evan Schiller for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are Tom Patchy, of course, will be back just like he is every other week. 
One of the top LPGA instructors in our game, Megan Francella, will make her next on the tee debut, as will Steve Scott. And Steve could have taken Tiger Woods down in the U.S. Amateur if he hadn't been such a great sportsman and reminded Tiger that he needed to move his ball mark back to where it was on the green after Tiger had moved it out of Steve's line. That penalty that Tiger would have incurred would have been the difference in the match. You can read all about it in Steve's book, Hey Tiger, You Need to Move Your Mark Back. We'll round out next week's show then with a visit from Brendan Walsh. Brendan is the Director of Instruction at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, one of the all-time great golf courses. Looking forward to having Brendan as part of this show. So it's going to be a really fun one next week, folks. I hope you'll tune in and be a part of it with us. You can find this show available as a podcast, just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on TribLive.com in the Pittsburgh Tribune Review site. Just go to TribLive.com, click on Sports, and then Podcasts, and you're going to find it available for you free right there, front and center on that page. You can also find the show on Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audio Boom, and Player.fm. And as always, my thanks to the folks over at Good Pods for making this show one of their recommended podcasts and a staff pick, and we were number one again for the month of December on that site. So thanks to all of you and to them for all the success that this show has seen. You guys are absolutely the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.